Merry Christmas, everybody. Nice to see you. Thanks for being here today. So it's Christmas, and it just seems to me that when it comes to Christmas, like probably most seasons, but maybe especially at Christmas, there are just certain things that are our favorite parts, right? So maybe for you, it's your favorite food. Maybe it's your favorite tradition. Maybe it's your favorite Christmas song. I don't know. There's all kinds of favorite things that we could talk about, the favorite gift you've ever given or the favorite gift you've ever received, all kinds of stuff. But I thought maybe you have a favorite part of the Christmas story. You know, and if you're a follower of Christ, maybe you go, well, I like the whole thing, but I thought maybe there's just a part of it where you'd say, oh, that's my favorite part. And even, in fact, in getting ready for this this weekend, I found, oh, I've got certain parts that I, I really like these parts, you know? So what I'd like to do is I'd like to let you tell me what your favorite part of the Christmas story is, and then I'll tell you that story. You decide. You get to choose your own adventure. All right? So you, are you good with that? All right, so let me, give, let me put some parameters on this for you so you don't just, you know, pick everything. So let me just give you four choices. So the first choice, the story you might want to hear, is the story of, uh, let's see how that goes. Uh, guess what, Joseph? Your girlfriend's pregnant. <laughs> tell that story if you want to. Or we could tell the story of the, of the young, pregnant teenage couple who eloped to Bethlehem. Or not, your choice. I'm telling you, it's your choice. So, or we could tell the story of the shepherds out in the field watching their flocks at night. It's a story that's got the all-star heaven rock band and the celestial sing-along choir. So if you're musical, you kind of like that one, maybe. Or we could tell the story of the Magi. And Magi, the Magi story is a story of international intrigue and political conflict. So there's your four choices. Why don't you show us the poll. You guys tell me what you want to talk about tonight. One manger. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go, take a look at five and ten. That would almost make you dizzy. With candy canes and silver lanes aglow. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Yeah? Toys in every store. But the prettiest Here comes Joey making a comeback. That will be on your own front door. All right, they're rounding the court, last curve, making the home stretch. Five seconds. Four. Three. Two. One. Okay, there we go. It looks like, it looks like we'll tell the manger story this time. Oh, magi, manger, magi, it's all sort of running together for me these days. All right, magi, is that what you wanted? was, right? Okay, all right. It's not really what I expected, but figure that out. All right, so I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to tell you this magi story. Uh, it comes in Matthew chapter Two. So I'll tell you this story like I promised, but I'm, as, I'm, as I'm kind of getting ready to tell you the story, I'm sort of thinking about, well, why do you like that story and not the other story so much? Because the other stories are really, really interesting stories. Really. I mean, the story of Joseph, how do you like, there, there's a story of this guy, I call him Joe Sixpack because he's just a normal guy, right? And he's out there doing his thing and he's working hard, trying to build a life for himself and for his fiance, Mary. And, and you know, then the angel shows up and says, you know, your, your girlfriend's pregnant. How are you dealing with that? How's that working for you, Joe? But you didn't want to hear that, so that's all right. 
there's a story of the Holy Family, and they're on their way to Bethlehem, and they're going to get up there, and there's no room for them in the inn because everybody had to go back to their hometown. And so now there's no room in the, in the guest houses in Bethlehem. You know why? Because the rest of Joseph's family got there first, and they took all the spaces. It's an awkward story, which is probably why you didn't want to choose that one. So... There's a story of the shepherds out there in the fields watching their flocks at night. And an angel shows up, and there's this whole heavenly choir scene, and they sing together. And we were going to have a sing-along if you chose that one. But we're not. We're going to talk about these magi, all right? So their story is found in Matthew chapter 2, and we're just going to read through the story, and then I'll go back and I'll tell you the story. And then we're going to try and figure out where we land in that story. Where do we show up in the story? Right, Matthew chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 1, here's the story of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now that's the story, and so I, I love that story. It's a fascinating story. But I'm sort of curious as to why it connected with you and why you said, Oh, I'd like to hear that one, please. I've done a lot of research and studying on what stories look like and what storytelling is all about. And one of the things you find out when you look at stories is stories, great stories are made of great characters. Great characters build great stories. And so there's some, there's some characters in this story. Maybe you know a little bit about them. Maybe you don't know everything about them. But maybe you like the story because of these characters. Like one character in the story is named Herod the Great. Herod was the king of Israel, but he wasn't born the king of Israel. He came in and, the, and Caesar said, I'll let you be king if you do good things for me. And Herod said, oh, I really want to be king. I'll do whatever you want. And so King Herod did all the dirty work for Caesar from a distance. And he said, I'll just keep doing this as long as you let me stay king. I just want to be king so bad. And so here's King Herod. He wasn't born king of the Jews. He's not even a Jew. He's from a, uh, a region called Idumea, or it was also known as Edom. He was an Edomite. He was a, a distant relative of the Jews, but not Jewish. He's an outsider. He was a client king, so he served at the pleasure of Caesar, not at his own pleasure. He didn't get to do what he wanted. You think, oh, you're the king. You get to do what you want. Not so much if there's a Caesar over you. You get to do what Caesar tells you to do if you're 
his king that he selected for the nation of Israel. So that's where King Herod was. So he was serving the interests of Rome. Now, Herod was a builder. He was kind of a contractor at heart. And so he had all these building projects all around the nation of Israel. If you go to Israel today, you'll find all these things that, that King Herod built. He was really a great builder. Wasn't all that great a king in a lot of ways, but he was a great builder. And so he built synagogues and he built, he built temples, not always for the God of Israel. He'd build temples for Caesar to honor Caesar. He'd build temples for himself to honor himself. He built these great fortresses. You may have heard of the fortress called Masada. It's down in the southern part of, of Israel. And it's on this great mountain on the top of that. He built a fort so that if things ever got bad for him, he could go to Masada and be protected. He built another place called the Herodian. It was a mountain. He actually built the mountain, and then he built a fort on top of the mountain that he built. You can still see it. If you go to Bethlehem today, you look over toward the east, and you'll see the Herodians standing up there where Herod built it. Herod built a city just to honor Caesar. It's called Caesarea. It's still there in Israel today. So he built all these things, all these monuments to himself and to Caesar because he wanted to keep Caesar happy. The problem with King Herod was... He was paranoid. I mean, literally, you know, paranoid is like you think, you think people are out to get you. He thought everybody was out to get him. Now, in some ways, he was right because everybody hated him. I mean, that's just how it was. But he even thought his own sons were out to get him. So he actually killed several of his sons toward the end of his life because he thought his sons were going to try and take his throne before he was dead. And so he literally killed several of his sons before he himself passed away. He was an evil character, sort of like... You know how in television, there's sometimes there's characters on your favorite TV show, and like there's one character who's just evil, and you love to hate him or her. I mean, equal opportunity hatred for some of us, right? So that, he's, he's that kind of character. He's the kind of character that you love to hate because he's so evil. But he makes the story really interesting. Maybe you like the story because of King Herod. Or maybe you like the story because of the Magi. Now, we've had all kinds of names for the Magi over the years. We call them, we call them wise men. Wise men. We call them we three kings. We have no idea if there were three. No idea. And they probably weren't kings. We, I think we landed on three because there were three gifts that they brought. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. So we picture each wise man having one. But their name is Magi, and Magi is a word from which we get our word magician. They were sorcerers. They were astronomers. They were dream readers, and they were astrologers. And they were advisors to the king from whatever country they were from. Now, we're not sure exactly if they came from Babylon or if they came from Persia, which is now Iran. We don't know exactly where they came from. But wherever they came from, they were almost certainly advisors to the king. And so they would hear the dream of the king and they would say, Oh, the gods are trying to tell you, oh, king, through your dream, this is what you should do. Or the stars are lining up, and through the stars, this is what you should do. And so they were advisors to the king. And you can imagine in their own country, they were VIPs. They were very important persons. Because the king leaned on them to figure out what should he do next in his kingdom. But of course, when they got to Israel, to Judah, they were no longer very important. In fact, when they got to Judah, what happened to them? They were outsiders. And the Jews have a really strict deal about, you know, if you're Jewish, you're good. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. You're an outsider. A Gentile can't come into your home as a Jew. You can't invite them into your home to have dinner together. A Gentile can't come into the temple to worship God. Got to stay on the outside. And so here's these men who are used to being very important persons, and they're very intelligent, very well educated. But they come in, 
and they're treated as outsiders. They don't know the scriptures. They don't know the Hebrew God. They're just following a star that they saw from the east. Now, maybe you like this story because of the characters. Or maybe you like the story because of the plot. Because the plot's pretty interesting as you go along. The, the, these outsider magi, they come into, into Jerusalem and they, begin, they approach this insecure king named Herod. He's very insecure because he thinks everybody's out to get him. Everyone's out to take his life. So he's very insecure. So these guys come in. They're used to being VIPs. They walk into King Herod and they say this. Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Now that's a political problem right off the bat because King Herod was not born king of the Jews. Now you have an international conflict going on because here's some people from outside and they're saying, we want to know where the one who was born king of the Jews was. Now Herod, who's not born king of the Jews, he could stop and say, well, that could be one of my sons. But it can't be because he killed them already. It's like, well, you know, who's the one who's born king of the Jews? And now Herod's terrified of a baby being born who might seek his life, might seek his throne, might seek his crown. And so... When the wise men come in, the magi come in, you go, well, you're not very wise because you came to the king and said, where's the real king? It's not a good strategy for keeping your head. And Herod feels threatened. And the magi make it worse because then they say, oh, you know what? We came to worship him. Now, kings in, those gener- in that generation, they love to be worshipped. Caesar loved to be worshipped. Sometimes we use the phrase among Christians, we say, Jesus is Lord. Well, we rip that off from the Romans because they would say it this way, Caesar is Lord. And so if you, if you were the Caesar, you were, you were considered a god before them. And the Christians took that and said, no, we're going to apply that to Jesus. All the kings in that generation wanted to be worshipped, and Herod was no different. He wanted to be worshipped. Here's these magi, and they come in, they go, we came to worship the baby. That ticked him off even more. These guys, are, these guys are in jeopardy at this point for their lives. So they said, we, we want to come into worship. And Herod says, oh, 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 I'd like to worship him too. Do you believe that? No, thank you for playing. <laughs> no, we don't believe that. It's like, no, you don't want to worship the baby. You've got something else in mind. You'd like to take that baby out. He says to the Magi, uh, well, you know, where is this baby who was born king of the Jews? The Magi said, we came here to find out from you. See, they followed a star, but it was sort of generic and general. They didn't know exactly where to go. So, so King Herod summoned his own Magi from his own kingdom. We know them as scribes and teachers of the law. They were the biblical scholars, and they didn't find out what God wanted through the stars. They found out what God wanted through the scriptures. So Herod calls his own wise men. He says, you tell me from the Bible, where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? Now, he's... The, He should have known this, right? But he's not Jewish. He's not really the king by birth. So he asked his wise men, where's the king of the Jews supposed to be born? They said, oh, in the little town of Bethlehem. Doesn't look like much, not a very big city, but it's a city where King David grew up, and that's the place where the Messiah is going to be born. And so Herod sends the magi off. He says, you go find the baby, and and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And so they don't know Herod at all, so they, they listen to him, and, and they go, okay, well, we're going to go off, and we're going we're gonna to go find this baby. They don't know that Herod is already plotting to kill the child because they're outsiders. 
They don't know all the history. They don't know all the stuff that goes on in Israel, and so they're outsiders. And it's interesting, when you come to the Magi, you come to a group of people, however many there were of them, three or six or, you know, 20, I don't know, but however many there were of them, when they, when they would figure out the Jewish religion, they would come to a place where they would say, not only are we outsiders, we're not even close to God's favorites. God would really never be accepting of us. We're coming in, we want to worship this baby, but we're not sure that God would really be accepting of us. And in fact, everybody in this part of the story, everybody is an outsider. I mean, in the story, you hear a little bit about Mary, you find out that she's in the house, you hear a little bit about Jesus, you find out that he's in the house, but all the main characters in this part of the story, they're all outsiders. The king of the Jews is not even Jewish. So maybe what you like in the story is the plot, but maybe what you like about the story is that it's really easy to see yourself in the story. I mean, I think that's why we come to Christmas and we go, oh, I really like the story of Christmas. Why? Because we, we get to see ourselves in it. We are so much in this story. Because we are outsiders to God. I mean, just left to ourselves, just left to do what we want to do, we'd just be outsiders to God. We'd be just like King Herod. Not part of God's family, not part of God's people, a long way from God. Like King Herod or like the Magi who came from a distant place and said, well, we saw a star in the east. We don't really know what it means, but we want to come to worship him. If he'll let us. What you find out when you go through all the stories of Christmas The story of Joseph, the story of Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem, the story of the shepherds and the story of the Magi. What you find out is every one of those stories is made up of outsiders. Every one of those stories is made up of people who might say in their heart, man, I'm a long ways from God. God would never call me his favorite. And that might be true of us too. Some of us in the room might be, you know, bold enough to go, oh, well, of course I'm God's favorite. I mean, of course but most of us not so much, right? Most of us, we look at our life and go, oh, I, I know what's in there. And I, I've got enough money, I've got enough resources, I've got enough skills to cover up the stuff that's in there. But when you get into what's on the inside of us, it gets pretty clear after a while that we're not really made out to be God's favorites. And so you can imagine just God just passing you by like Herod was afraid of. Except the story of Christmas is a story of the fact that God loved you so much that he sent his son into this world just for you. In fact, the story of Christmas says this, God loves you so much that he can look at you right in the eyes and say, you are one of my favorites. You go, yeah, but how could he say that? There's 7 billion people on the planet. Well, you couldn't, you you know, you'd have to pick from 7 billion people to figure out which one your favorite was. God doesn't. Isn't God big enough to have 7 billion favorites? That's the story of Christmas. God loved you so much that he said, you're my favorite, and I'm going to send my son into this world for you. And into the end of the story, everybody bows to the baby. I mean, why do we come, why do we come to church at Christmas why do we set aside all the, all the shopping and all the packages and all the Santa Claus stuff? Why do we set all that stuff aside and show up at church? It's because somewhere at some level we get it. We're like, oh, at some point 
everybody bows to the baby. Joseph, when he found out what had happened, he agreed with the angel and he said, I'm going to take Mary to be my wife. And he ended up bowing to the baby, which was his own stepson. Mary, the mother of the Messiah, submitted herself to God and eventually bowed to her own baby as the, as the son of God, the Messiah. The shepherds, when they came in from the fields where they'd been watching their flocks that night, they came in, they saw this child, and they bowed to the baby. And the magi who came from a foreign country who were total outsiders to God and to his heritage in Israel, total outsiders, they came in and they bowed to the baby. And Christmas becomes a story of invitation where God just looks at every one of us right in the eyes and says, look, I just want to invite you to come to me through my son. I loved you so much that I sent my son for you, if you will believe me. And the struggle for some of us sometimes at Christmas is, do I believe him? Or do I want to bow to him? Because, of course, to bow to Jesus means you don't get to keep bowing to yourself anymore, which we love to do. We love to make ourselves the God. We love to make ourselves the ones who will be worshipped, just like King Herod just like Caesar. But when we come to Christ, even in the little story of Christmas about this little baby, what we find out is that it's an invitation from God to us to become an insider if we will trust him. And I just want to offer that invitation to you because you might look at your own life and go, man, my life's messed up. I'm way far from God. I'm, so, I'm such an outsider to this church thing. I show up on Christmas sometimes, but I'm such an outsider to this. I don't get God. I don't understand God. I'd love to be close to God, but I just don't know how. And I'd just love to extend an invitation for you to put your faith in Jesus, the one who God sent to show you that you are one of his favorites. And when you say, Jesus, I surrender. I need you to be my savior. He promises to say yes to you and to bring you close to God. That's the gift of Christmas. That's why we love the story. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the fact that you love us. Lord, there's a lot of us in the room who love you back. There's a lot of us who just say, oh, Jesus, I'm so grateful to you for all that you've done for me. I know that you have come into the world to express God's heart of love for me. And I just respond to you by faith for that. Thank you. And Lord, for those who are, are just expressing their gratitude and their worship to you tonight, bless them. Thank you for them. But Lord, there may be some among us, I expect that there are some among us who are just going, man, that story is my story. I'm not a magi, I'm not a wise man, I'm not a king, but I'm certainly an outsider to God's family. And I would sure like to be an insider. I would sure like for Jesus to redeem my life and bring me close to God. And so, Lord, if there are some that are praying that to you tonight, would you just be faithful to your promise and hear them and say yes? And may they cross the line of faith tonight and put their faith in Jesus so that everything for them begins to change because they begin to know how much you love them.
Lord, thank you for this gift. We love you. We trust you together through Jesus Christ. Amen.